Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Rahul Panat. He's an associate professor of mechanical engineering at Carnegie Mellon University. We're going to be talking about his uh, work, microscale additive manufacturing, flexible and printed microelectronics, and advanced energy materials. So Rahul, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Richard, for having me on the show. Yeah, tell me a bit about your research. Uh, what kind of materials, what kind of uses are you looking into? So um, uh, I work on micro and nanoscale 3D printing uh, using nanoparticles uh, to fabricate devices with newer functionalities and features. That's kind of the overarching theme of my research. Um, in particular, the focus is on using this technology of, of micro and nanoscale 3D printing to create um, new types of biomedical devices or giving additional functionalities to biomedical devices, um, getting high-capacity lithium-ion batteries, and creating more sensitive um, sensors for various applications. Uh, so essentially, I'm I'm implementing, applying the advances in micro and um, nanoelectronics manufacturing advances that are happening independent of the application space, right, uh, to these specific application areas. So, right. what kind of additional functionality um, are you looking to create, or you have been able to create? What are some of the big important things that uh, industry wants? Right. So. Um, uh, the the uh, I'm I'm going to give you an example of what we are doing. So uh, my group is working on um, using a droplet-based additive manufacturing method to create uh, three-dimensional structures, and it turns out that these three-dimensional structures can build um, micro-scale needles that are used in as brain-computer interfaces. And my group was working independently of, of creating these three-dimensional structures without really focusing on applications because that itself involves a lot of uh, droplet dynamics and uh, also sintering dynamics. Uh, but once we were able to create such needles, it turned out that they uh, we were able to create brain-computer interfaces with highest density um, of electrodes that 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 has yet been able to people have yet been able to create. Um, in other words, lithography, uh, which is a traditional method of making microelectronic devices, was able to create some brain-computer interfaces with um, electrode densities of 100 to 500 per centimeter square. And by printing um, in three dimensions at micro scales, we were able to increase that density to close to 6,400. Um, electrodes per centimeter square, and also create customizable me, um, uh, brain-computer interfaces that would be used in applications such as neuroprosthetics, uh, um, stimulating uh, neurons, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about the needles themselves. Uh, how long? How wide? Or circumference? How big are they? So these needles have a diameter ranging from. 
20 microns uh, at the base uh, to the tips uh, are about 10 microns in diameter. Um, the, the, there could be larger uh, needles as well with about 40 to 50 microns diameter. And uh, the typical length we have is several millimeters. So we are talking about um, length between two to three, three millimeters, and then uh, these would be recording signals from from a brain. At this point, we are looking at at my mouse brain, but but this shows that these newer microelectronics manufacturing techniques that were that we are working on, when they are applied to these newer fields, it can create uh, really amazing um, device applications. So uh, I would guess there's a trade-off if the needles get too thin or too long, if the ratio is off, that they'll bend under pressure of insertion. So how do you um, accomplish that where they have a strong enough uh, tensile strength or whatever, you know, non-bending strength that they can go into a substance? Yeah, so uh, we just recently published a paper exactly on that uh, area. So these needles or, or micro pillars, uh, as we call them, you can tune their properties by uh, different uh, thermal treatment or sintering conditions. In other words, our microscale 3D printing technique, by the way, it is called aerosol jet uh, 3D printing. We create, uh, uh, we assemble nanoparticles in three-dimensional space in the form of a in the form of a needle. But these are nanoparticles that are separate from each other. These are metallic nanoparticles. When we center this structure, the nanoparticles fuse together and start to grow. And between two to 300 degrees Celsius of temperature, there is grain growth dynamics that allows us to create um, stronger needles that do not break even when they are bent to very small radius, radii. So small radius means th there is a large amount of strain in the system um, uh, under bending. So uh, we, basically, this micro-scale structures with nanomaterials, we have pretty good handle of input conditions or control parameters by which we can tune the properties for a specific application. In this case, it's insertion into into brain tissue. And by the way, brain, uh, okay. uh, yeah, brain probes is not, or the brain-computer interfaces is not the only application we, we have applied this technique for. We also create, have high-capacity lithium-ion batteries and more sensitive sensors uh, that we fabricate using this method. So um, besides being strong enough to be inserted into a substance, what other properties do you want to tune with these needles? Is the, is the taper important? You know, is the certain long lengths needed for certain applications? Absolutely. Like what are, what else? Absolutely. That is the beauty of uh, 3D printing is that we can actually create a computer program, feed it to the machine, and at a click of a button, you can create three-dimensional structures um, uh, without any support materials in, in our case uh, that... Uh, that can uh, that can give rise to different shapes. In this case, for example, sharper tips can give rise to um, easier insertion into the brain tissue. Um, or uh, we can also create, for example, th complex three-dimensional structures with extremely high surface area for the for the structure, which can have higher sensitivity, for example. Um, in in detecting some some uh, biomarkers or some kind of uh, 
um, uh, physical or chemical signals. So, yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, I just wanted to know some of the tunable the tunable parameters. Okay, that makes sense. So, uh, in addition to the needles, what other types of uh, nanomaterials are you working with, and what um, would be their functionalities? So Right, I'm working with printing of some um, gold, and as well as um, my group is planning on you know, using platinum. For example, platinum is highly biocompatible, so that's a material that um, we would want to we would want to have. Uh, my group is working on printing of uh, 2D materials, uh, which have certain advantages um, in terms of um, certain properties. My group is working on printing of uh, several types of polymers so that you can create multi-layer PCB boards, um, fully printed multi-layer PCB boards uh, that can accompany the devices that we are also printing. So, um, uh, the, the, you know, these are the kinds of materials we are, we are currently working with. So in polymers, we print polyamide, we print um, SU8 polymers. Um, we also print acrylated urethane. Some of these are can be um, cured by UV light. Uh, what that does is we are able to create three different three-dimensional structures such as optical waveguides um, that would be very difficult to do uh, by any other method. And then droplet by droplet, we would create a, um, a three-dimensional structure of polymer, for example, in this case. So my our focus at this point is on uh, printing of metallic materials, uh, polymers, hmm. uh, and we are moving towards 2D materials. We haven't uh, we haven't printed ceramics yet. So uh, a waveguide. What uh, for people that don't know what uh, what would be the usefulness of a waveguide? And it sounds like you're able to do it in a three dimensional way instead of two dimensional, or, or a more sophisticated way. Like so, what would be the benefit? Yeah. Yes. So uh, typically waveguides are uh, uh, narrow uh, tubes of material that can carry light through total internal reflection. And if we are able to steer light in any way in three dimensions, then there are certain advantages. For example, right, the brain probes, the metallic brain probes I told you that can capture electrical signals or that can stimulate um, the, the neurons, uh, we can also integrate the polymer probes along with them. And in certain types of mice, gen certain types of genetically um, modified mice, we can actually stimulate neuronal activity by, um, by um, uh, exciting certain portions of the brain by using uh, these optical waveguides. And uh, uh, this is this is basically, uh, as you know, right? Everything that we do and and work is is controlled by neuronal firing or activity inside our brain. But what triggers that activity is is not a very well known thing. So in certain types of genetically modified mice, uh, there is an entire area called optogenetics, uh, where we can actually induce neuronal firing patterns by uh, just shining light in, in, in those regions. So uh, the optical waveguides can be printed and uh, uh, those can be then inserted into the, into the brain, uh, a mouse brain, for example, um, to see what, what happens when uh, neuronal activity in certain area is, is triggered. So I work from the device side for this problem. 
and I collaborate with a neuroscientist to to study what um, uh, what the effects of these all these devices would be. Yeah, you also talked briefly about uh, creating, I think it was three D polymer structures. Yes. So what what's okay? What would those be used for? What kind of applications? And um, I'm sure some of them are just naturally three D because of the bond angles. But uh, you know what what would what do you envision and what would you be able to do that's more sophisticated? So um, for for 3D polymeric so uh, polymeric structures with let's say a, p- a pillar of polymer which is 100 microns in diameter or 50 microns in diameter and one millimeter or two millimeters in length can be used as an opt- optogenetic stimulation device as I mentioned before right. Um, there could be other applications where we um, we uh, mix certain functional particles into the polymers and create three-dimensional structures. For example, I can mix polymer particles into, uh, sorry, uh, magnetic particles into a polymer and print it in uh, as, as a three-dimensional structure, and that can be used as a microactuator, for example. Um, there could be uh, other applications such as uh, mixing nanoparticles, some kind of functional particles, again, into the polymer and printing it on a robotic arm, for example, where it acts as a tactile sensor, for example. Yeah. So what are some of the challenges um, in working with the, um, you know, the size regime of the particles you work with? You know, I've heard that forces on a macro scale are very different from a nano scale. So, you know, what, again, what's unique to the, uh, the size range of the things you work with? Right. So, um, you know, every size range has its disadvantages, right? Nano and micro scales are very difficult to handle. But at the same time, uh, micro and nano scales can give you huge advantages that you would never see in macro scale particles. For example, the 3D printing method that my group has developed where we can create three-dimensional metallic structures without any support material Uh, They work on the principle of uh, uh, droplets getting extremely sticky when they have a very small diameter. And I'll give you uh, an example that we observe in nature. In nature, right, um, in Namibian desert, there are droplets that contain sulfur, okay? And uh, these get uh, driven by by wind into deserty area, right? And as the heat goes up, these droplets um, um, kind of the the water or the solvent portion is evaporated, and the sulfur falls on the on the uh, on the sand. If there is no seed there, then this would just um, not result in anything significant, but if there is a seed that forms over millions of years, this this gives rise to very beautiful three-dimensional structures called desert roses. Essentially, this whole thing happens because these droplets are in micrometer length scale, where their stickiness or surface forces are much larger than their weight, which is uh, the inertia forces, okay? So we use exactly the same principle. We have these droplets of solvent that contain these nanoparticles. They are driven by a gas um, in this aerosol jet microscale 3D printing machine. And when they, they drop on a platen, for example, or a substrate on which we are building the device, instead of falling down and, and creating um, a planar structure, if there is a seed, 
we can create, we can build three-dimensional structures where um, the, the droplets don't just fall down, but stick to one, uh, one another and form a, a beautiful, very complex structure. So at, at these length scales, there are challenges, of course, uh, for example, control in dimensions, control in overspray and all these, all these uh, challenges. But this length scale also provides advantages that we, um, we use in order to create these device classes. Well, I mean, making a beautiful structure is one thing, I guess, in photographing it. But what would be the use of these, uh, these solvent microstructures that you're making? What's the use so case? The, one of the uses is uh, obviously the brain-computer interface, right? I can create three-dimensional needles by using this technology where the needle density is more than 10 times anything that lithography can make. The second uh, huge advantage is uh, I can create a very complex micro lattice structure, which would be very difficult to do by any or fabricate by any other method and use it for lithium ion batteries where I have extremely high surface area and my electrolyte can penetrate through the volume of my electrode. That gives, that will reduce the stresses, that will um, provide need, uh, nearly 100% uh, electrode utilization, and that can provide higher power um, or aerial densities. I can use this okay. uh, very phenomena to create high surface vol uh, to, to volume ratio materials for, for improved sensing purposes. And in fact, we demonstrated a battery where we showed 100% increase in aerial density when we use micro lattice structures versus just planar block structures that conventionally are being used. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is how much more dense, um, how much stronger, for instance, can you make certain materials? Like, you know, if you can put orders of magnitude on it or numbers generically, uh, how much improved are the materials you're making? So, for example, I would measure the improvement in terms of the functionality that these materials provide, right? So, in brain-computer interfaces, we have uh, customization, um, uh, and as well as we have more than one order of magnitude increase in the, the electrode densities that we can interface with the brain. Um, in case of lithium-ion batteries, we believe that um, about 50% increase in the capacity is uh, we will get um, by using this micro lattice uh, 3D or 3D printed micro lattice batteries, uh, which also uh, translates into reduction in weight for a given capacity, right? And uh, in case of, let's say, strain sensors, for example, we demonstrated that 3D printed porous films create, have a 57%, uh, about 60% improvement in the gauge factor, which is sensitivity of the sensor. So these are some of the numbers that um, roughly represent what the types of devices we can make by using uh, this uh, droplet-based uh, microscale 3D printing approach. Yeah, and I guess uh, in the example of a battery, I'm sure it's obvious to you, it's not just two-dimensional uh, higher density, but it could be three-dimensional. Perhaps you can make very dense three-dimensional structures that would work in the battery instead of relying on just, you know, again, two-dimensional uh, increase in density. 
Absolutely, and this this technology absolutely allows us to do that. Uh, and and by the way, uh, these micro scale three D printing method, we can pretty much print any material that can be crushed into nanoparticle format. So um, nanoparticle form. So uh, we can we can. Uh, so this is a improvement in battery capacity purely by change in geometry. There is no change in. Um, chemistry of the electrolytes or, or transport properties of ions in the batteries. If if you know that um, that's something kind of uh, um, sounds important because because the it is important to create manufacturing methods that are independent of the materials that are being used uh, rather than dependent on certain types of materials or chemical compatibilities. So how do you get the uh, nanoparticles all of a similar size and how do you get them where you want them to go and keep them in a certain area? You know, do they tend to run away on you or, you know, have other issues? So, so nanoparticles can never be made with the same size. Anybody who claims that is perhaps not telling the truth. So nanoparticles always have a large uh, size range. So when we purchase, these are commercially available nanoparticle solutions. So these are dispersions. Every nanoparticle is decorated with a chemical that separates them from agglomerating. And we have certain methods here, such as tube rollers, on which we, we put these solutions so that the mixing um, kind of continuously happens before we load them into, into the, into the uh, machine. But uh, these are commercially available nanoparticle solutions, and uh, we have been purchasing these and using certain types of solvents to print them. Where, so what Richard, is the typical size distribution? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Can, no, no problem. Yeah. So uh, maybe, uh, Ricard, I wanted to also mention about my background, how, how I, I came from industry, by the way. So Yeah, let's do that. We'll, we'll insert that in, uh, in the beginning. Tell me... Tell me a little bit about your background. Yes. So I uh, currently am an associate professor of mechanical engineering at Carnegie Mellon. Uh, but I, prior to becoming a faculty member, after my PhD, I directly went to industry. And for 10 years, um, I was working on microprocessor and IC fabrication technologies at Intel uh, in Chandler, Arizona. Um, so at Intel, uh, it was kind of a heaven for micro and nano manufacturing because you had to make these um, computer chips, uh, package them in, in certain form. You had to connect them to external world, um, look at the reliability problems, um, and so on and so forth. And um, what I learned, the key thing I learned at Intel is that um, there are several micro and nano fabrication techniques or manufacturing methods and there are many new ones that are coming up on the horizon. And uh, I wanted to explore some of these new methods myself. And one of these methods was micro and nanoscale 3D printing, where uh, the speed is slow, but at the same time, we can create, we can, uh, create different device geometries. We can combine different materials that you would be, it would be impossible to do using conventional lithography. And we can create microstructures that would be very difficult to control by conventional lithography. And that is the desire from my side, as well as my uh, desire to interact with students and um, kind of uh, develop uh, mentor students, uh, essentially, and teach is what drove me to 
come to academics. And that is you know, how when, I chose this area of micro and nanoscale 3D printing. Okay. Yeah, what, what excites you most about the possibilities of what you're doing? Is it the stuff you've already talked about? Or is there something so, else that maybe is out of reach right now that you just, you, you, yeah. you're so thrilled that well, you do it? Sure. Uh, I'll give you an example of what I'm working on. I'm, uh, one of the examples is I'm, I'm, work, I'm creating uh, these electronic decals which are extremely miniaturized uh, devices that will be uh, that can be put on on skin and that can capture vital biomedical um, bio, vital biomarkers. Uh, now, what excites me about doing all these things is what types of changes this is going to bring to people, right? So one of the things is um, these decals will allow people to or older patients or older people with certain chronic conditions uh, to be in home care versus um, being in hospital care. So that kind of impacts people's lives, right? I'm also working with some doctors to um, look at um, uh, deep brain stimulation probes uh, for for patients who, who undergo uh, like uh, periodic seizures in epilepsy. Um, and again, these are all 3D printed devices where we are looking at uh, being able to cure or, or um, ablate the part of the brain that is that is showing abnormal activity uh, by minimal surgery versus today what happens is is a is a large surgery where part of the skull is removed and part of the brain needs to be removed in several severe cases. People will be able to do that um, with a smaller surgery, for example. In brain computer interfaces, the kind of functionality it will bring to people with neuroprosthetic devices. Uh, these are all the things that, that really, really excite me because um, ultimately we are people, right? And uh, uh, bettering people's lives is, is should and, and is, is what is really the ultimate goal that, that you know, my group is working towards. And um, it's an immense satisfaction, to say the least. Yeah, no, that's great. But what do you yeah. think will be possible for your lab and your research in the next few years? And then maybe one more counterexample of what do you think is still pretty far in the future, but, you know, would be right. great to do. Yeah. So um, one of the key things my lab uh, strives to do at this point is I came from industry. I came with the latest and greatest knowledge in microelectronics manufacturing. And when I look at all these biomedical devices, I visit hospitals around um, CMU in, in Pittsburgh area. By the way, Pittsburgh is a huge hub of medical research, a hub for medical research. I see that the devices people are using have really, really primitive electronics in them. And part of the reason is the long FDA process of approval. And part of the reason is that not many engineers have seen these devices and have seen uh, where they are used and, and what kinds of effects they can have on people's lives. So my group's overarching kind of aim is to bring newer electronics manufacturing technologies um, into the biomedical device fields to, to better people's lives, as I mentioned before. And what is not possible is, yeah, and what is not possible is, uh, uh, I would say that perhaps what is not possible is is coming to a full conclusion. In other words, right, all the different types of diseases, different types of conditions keep on popping up all the time, right? We are seeing that with the coronavirus outbreak. 
So medical device field will always need to catch up with the diseases and ailments that come up, right? And we as engineers who have knowledge in microelectronics and nanoelectronics manufacturing will have to catch up with these devices or the requirements of these devices. So it's a continuous process, I feel. Yeah, as you were talking, I imagined, um, you know, the pore size of various parts of our body. I wonder if uh, you can make objects that would be small enough to just enter through our pores through our skin pretty easily. And then maybe they're guided externally by magnets or, you know, electric field or something to migrate to a part in the body and accomplish some task. Or maybe once they're in the body, they, you know, the the particles uh, open up or degrade and release uh, kind of a drug. I mean, I guess there's a lot sure. of things that can go on. You know. Yes, yes. I, I think, you know, this is a very um, a broader outcome, and that is definitely possible. And, and what my group is working, so my group is not working on anything specific that would do what you just mentioned, but my group is working on miniaturizing uh, device technologies, right, or, or device form factors that would be a vehicle to achieve some of the things that you mentioned. So, um, okay. for example, the brain-computer interfaces are invasive today, right? Um, or even the the uh, DBS probes that we are using for for working towards uh, for seizures still require a um, level of surgery that is much less much uh, less severe than than removing part of the skull. Uh, but but going everything towards kind of an inserted device that uh, that monitors the vital signals in specific parts of the body is very much possible. And, and the, the technologies created by, by my group will form kind of a platform for doing exactly the same thing. Well, very good. Well, Rahul, what's the best way for people to see or experience your research? Uh, do you have a website URL or where could they go? Yes. So uh, on my CMU website, there is a video about my research. There is also a video about my teaching where I uh, force students to, in my courses, I ask students to uh, do the the uh, engineering uh, research or, or rather engineering analysis, but ultimately they have to get to a product that they can sell. So there is a video about my teaching as well on my website. And my group's website is advancedmanufacturing.us. And that website um, lists all the uh, research areas that I have been working on. That's great. Yeah, you know, my my research has been funded by National Institutes of Health, uh, National Science Foundation, and uh, the U.S. Department of Energy. And uh, also uh, uh, hospital chain Highmark is funding some of my research as well as um, um, some other smaller, uh, some other agencies as well. So, you know, uh, it's, it's, I really want to thank them for um, having faith in uh, people who are working on new technologies because it's not always easy to, to uh, invest in what is, what is going to come up in future. Right. Well, very good. Well, Rahul, thank you for coming on the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot, Richard. I really appreciate uh, this podcast, yeah. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. 
This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.